Are you among those who try to live a faith-centered life? Maybe you consider yourself religious and feel you have a relationship with God, but does God have a relationship with you? The Bible says that God must choose you. So how do we get chosen? You're listening to the podcast version of God's Message Magazine, and today's topic is the right to serve God. In this life, rights and privileges of individuals are regulated by the laws of the society. Though one can just practice or engage in something without the right or the authority or the privilege to do so. For instance, in the practice of a profession, one cannot lawfully serve as a policeman without being authorized by the proper government agency or serve as a physician without the necessary license, or practice as an engineer without proper authorization. Those, however, who engage in the unlawful practice of various professions being unauthorized are labeled as quacks and are subject to criminal prosecution and punishment. The same may be said in the practice of one's religion or in serving God. For all a person knows, he is serving God. But, since he doesn't have the right or privilege to do so, all his efforts and sacrifices are an exercise in futility. He's rendering service that is invalid and therefore unacceptable to God. It behooves us, therefore, to know whether we have the right and privilege to serve God or not. Let us first clarify who gives the right and privilege to man to serve and worship God? The Bible says, I quote Psalms chapter 4, verse 3, Remember that the Lord has chosen the righteous for his own, and he hears me when I call to him. Psalm 4, 3, TEV. God chooses those who belong to him. It's when a person is chosen by God that he's given the right and privilege to call unto God and be heard in his prayer. The choosing or setting apart of people to serve and call unto God is also taught by our Lord Jesus Christ. I quote, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. That's John 15, verse 16. Christ underscores here the importance of being chosen. The chosen not only have the right to call unto the Father, but also to receive what they ask for. For a person to be able to call upon the Lord and serve him in a manner that's acceptable to him, he must first be chosen or appointed in the service. This was echoed by Apostle Paul in his letter to Timothy thus, I quote, I give thanks to Christ Jesus our Lord, who has given me strength for my work. I thank him for considering me worthy and appointing me to serve him. 1 Timothy 1.12 it's therefore in being chosen, called, or appointed by God that one receives the right and privilege to serve than to call unto him. 
A person may be fully convinced that he's already serving God and calling on his name, as countless people today would likewise think. But if he's not called or chosen, his services will only end up in vain. Only God's chosen people have the right to render valid and acceptable service to him. Israel was the first nation of God which he had chosen to serve and worship him. And Apostle Paul delineates the rights and privileges which only the people of Israel enjoyed during their time. In his letter to the Romans, Apostle Paul stated this clearly. I quote, They are God's people. He made them his sons and revealed his glory to them. He made his covenants with them and gave them the law. They have the true worship. They have received God's promises. Unquote. That's Romans 9.4. As God's people, the Israelites had the privilege to be called his children. God gave them his law and the right to perform the true worship. Not only did they have the covenant of God, they also had God's promises with them. Had they received such right and privilege to render true worship and service to God? The record in Deuteronomy enlightens us thus, I quote, Do this because you belong to the Lord your God. From all the peoples on earth, he chose you to be his own special people. The Lord did not love you and choose you because you outnumbered other peoples. You were the smallest nation on earth, but the Lord loved you and wanted to keep the promise that he made to your ancestors. That is why he saved you by his great might and set you free from slavery to the king of Egypt. Unquote. Deuteronomy 7, verses 6 through 8. So all the rights and privileges enjoyed by ancient Israel proceeded from the fact that his nation was chosen by God. The Israelites belonged to God, and he considered them his own special people. Take note, God did not choose Israel because its population counted great. In fact, Israel then was the smallest nation on earth. This weakens the assertion that preponderance in number determines who among the many people belong to God. But neither is their being the smallest nation the basis of their being chosen by God. The Bible says that God chose and loved Israel because he wanted to keep the promise he made to their ancestors. This was the promise God gave to Abraham and his descendants recorded in Genesis 17.7. This, this is a rec uh, rec recorded there. I will keep my promise to you and to your descendants in future generations as an everlasting covenant. I will be your God and the God of your descendants. Unquote. Israel's right and privilege to serve God is founded on the everlasting covenant God made with Abraham. As the covenant clearly states, Abraham's descendants, the people of Israel, have the right to deify God. I quote, I will be your God and the God of your descendants, unquote. 
This right and privilege was exclusive to the ancient Israelites at that time, as was testified to by Naaman, a commander of the Syrian army. Although an outsider in the nation of Israel, he had witnessed and experienced how God favored Israel over all other nations. I quote, Then he returned to the man of God, he and all his aides, and came and stood before him, and he said, Indeed, now I know that there is no God in all the earth except in Israel. Now, therefore, please take a gift from your servant. Unquote. That's 2 Kings 5.15. There were many other nations and peoples during the time of ancient Israel, but the Israelites were the only ones considered by God as his people, the only ones who had the privilege and the right to deify and serve God. But the Israelites turned unfaithful. They turned away from him and thus forfeited their right and privilege as God's chosen people as in Dan 9.11. While the Israelites enjoyed the right and privilege to serve and worship God by virtue of their election, the same was true with the church established by the Lord Jesus Christ or the Church of Christ. The early church was God's replacement for Israel when the latter turned away from him. On what is their right to serve and worship God founded? Apostle Peter said to the first century Christians, I quote, We have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto ye do well that ye take heed, as unto a light that shineth in a dark place, until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. Wherefore the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and the election sure, for if ye do these things, ye shall never fall. Unquote. That's Second Peter one nineteen, as well as verse ten. The members of the Church of Christ in the first century were sure of their calling and election based on the fulfillment of biblical prophecy. The prophecy testifies to their being chosen and elected by God. One of these prophecies testifying to their election as God's chosen people is written in Isaiah 61, verses 1 through 3. I quote, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. Isaiah 61, 1, 2, and 3. The prophecy was fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ when God had sent into the world to preach the gospel of salvation. 
The above-mentioned prophecy not only testifies about him, but also about the beneficiaries of his saving mission. Christ and those whom he will save are the planting of the Lord for the glory of God. During his earthly ministry, Christ clarified this, I quote, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit. So you will be my disciples. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you." Unquote. John 15, 1, 5, 8, and 16. Christ is the true vine planted by the Father, so his authority springs from God. The vine, the Lord Jesus, has branches, the chosen and appointed. The branches being chosen and appointed have the right and privilege to call unto God and to receive what they ask for. In the illustration of Apostle Paul, Christ, the vine, is the head of the body or of the church, and the branches are the members of this body or church. Colossians 1.18, 1 Corinthians 12.27, and Acts 20.28. 20, well, the members of the Church of Christ then are recognized by God as the work of His hands, as specified in the prophecy thus, I quote, Also, your people shall all be righteous. They shall inherit the land forever. The branch of my planting, the work of my hands, that I may be glorified, unquote. Isaiah 60, verse 21. Hence, the members of the Church of Christ in the first century enjoyed the rights and privileges being granted to the chosen ones. They had a strong basis in their right to serve and worship God and to inherit His promises. But the Church of Christ in the first century, like its predecessor Israel, had also fallen in the way of apostasy. It also turned away from the faith as Christ and his apostles had forewarned. And that's recorded in Matthew 24, 4, 9, 11. We can read as well in Acts chapter 20, verses 29 and 30. We can read in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 and 3, as well as 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. This thus was the right and privilege to deify God. So like Israel and the Church of Christ in the first century, the Iglesia Ni Cristo, which emerged in the Philippines in these last days, and which has spread in different parts of the world, is also chosen by God. It also enjoys the same right and privilege to serve and worship God, which is also firmly grounded on biblical testimonies. Here is one of the numerous prophecies testifying to the Church of Christ in these last days as God's chosen people. I quote, You are my witnesses, says the Lord, and my servant, whom I have chosen, 
that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me there was no God formed, nor shall there be after me. Unquote. That's Isaiah 43.10. God prophesied that his chosen servants would witness that he alone is God and that there is no other God before him, nor shall there be any after him. They are his sons and daughters from the ends of the earth, as pointed out in verses 5 and 6 of the same chapter of Isaiah's book. The prophecy reads there, I quote, Fear not, for I am with you. I will bring your descendants from the east and gather you from the west. I will say to the north, give them up, and to the south, do not keep them back. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth, unquote. That's Isaiah 43, 5 and 6. God's sons and daughters would emerge at the ends of the earth from a far-off place in the east. In the Moffat translation, the designated place of their origin is the Far East. The Philippines, where the Church of Christ emerged, is in the Far East, according to Asia and the Philippines, page 169. The prophecy specifically indicated the time of emergence of God's chosen people at the ends of the earth. When is the period ends of the earth? Let's first distinguish the expression end of the earth from ends of the earth. When will the time end of the earth and ends of the earth take place? The Bible enlightens us thus, I quote, and as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us, when shall these things be? And what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? That's Matthew 24, 3. The end of the earth, or the end of the world, is the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is different from the ends of the world. The emergence of God's chosen servants from the Far East would not be at the world's end because by that time all life here on earth would be extinguished. God's chosen people would emerge at the ends of the earth. So when is this? The Lord Jesus tells us this, I quote, So you also, when you see all these things, know that it is near, at the very doors, unquote, Matthew 24, 33. Christ pointed out the events signifying that his second coming is near. When they take place, it is at the very doors or at the ends of the earth. Hence, the period ends of the earth is a time when the end of the world or the second coming of the Lord Jesus is near. When are these events signifying the ends of the earth? which is also the time God's chosen people would emerge in the Far East. In verses 6 and 7 of the same chapter, Christ spoke of two successive wars that are of global proportions. He was referring to the wars that took place in 1914 and 1939, which are known in history as the First World War and the Second World War, respectively. The outbreak of the First World War 
on July 27, 1914, commenced the period Ends of the Earth, which was also the time when the Iglesia de Cristo was registered with the Philippine government. Undoubtedly, the members of the true church, the Church of Christ that emerged here in the Philippines, are the prophesied servants of God in these last days. They have the right and privilege to serve God, as had the Israelites and the first-century Christians. The man whom God used as instrument in preaching this church also had his authority firmly grounded on the prophecy. Brother Felix Y. Manalo was chosen by God as his messenger to preach the message of salvation and had been given the right to deify him. God said to him in the prophecy, I quote, You, whom I have taken from the ends of the earth and called from its farthest regions and said to you, You are my servant. I have chosen you and have not cast you away. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand." Unquote. Isaiah 41, 9 and 10. There are those who refuse to accept the incontrovertible fact that God chooses and elects the people who will render service to him. They also find it hard to believe that in these last days, the members of the Church of Christ are the chosen people of God and are the only ones who have the right and privilege to serve and deify God. Instead, they cling to the belief that as long as they serve God sincerely, their service is accepted by him, regardless of religious affiliation. What matters, they say, is that they recognize and serve God. How does this belief stand in the light of biblical truth? In his letter to the Roman Christians, Apostle Paul said this, I quote, Though they were not yet born and had done nothing, either good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of his call. Unquote. Romans 9.11 Election of people to serve God is in accordance with his purpose. Whatever man does in service of God, or whatever works of holiness he engages himself with, all these would amount to nothing and would only end up in vain if he is not counted among God's elect or the chosen ones. On the other hand, those who have been called and elected by God to serve him are assured of their right and privilege to enter the Lord Jesus' eternal kingdom. Their election and call will serve them in good stead on the great day of reckoning, as Apostle Peter assured in his epistle, I quote, Therefore, brethren, be the more zealous to confirm your call and election. For if you do this, you will never fall, so there will be richly provided for you 
an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. 2 Peter 1, 10 and 11. To find more articles like these, get your copy of God's Message magazine from a member of the Church of Christ. You can also find the podcast version on incmedia.org. Thank you for listening. I'm Brother Bob Pauline. God bless.